0: Friends, on Easter, we read one of the resurrection accounts of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 20. And we're going to read all of the Easter morning. And actually, today, we're just also going to include Easter Monday, really, which is tomorrow, where Jesus appeared to a few more of his disciples. And it might seem like a lot to read, but we can't get enough of the resurrection story this is our story as as people with faith in Jesus Christ. It is this day that centers us and brings us together. Because if it wasn't for the resurrection of Christ, we wouldn't maybe even know who he was. He might be another person that we knew of, maybe had a couple ancient interesting texts, maybe some historians would have written about, but we would not know Jesus. We'd be as likely if not more likely to have heard of John the Baptist. And Jesus, if not for the resurrection of Christ. So I invite you in John chapter 20, it's the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, um, to read along as we not only study God's word with our mind, but as we celebrate what the resurrection means with all of our hearts. So with this, let's read God's holy word. I'm going to say a prayer. We always pray to invite God into our reading of Scripture. And then after the reading of God's word, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And I invite you, if it feels sincere, to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, you have given us the gift of you, for you are the living word. And you, the living word, have given us this record, this gospel story in the written word about your death and your resurrection. So as we come to you in the written word, Lord, you who are the incarnate word, be with us. Illumine the scriptures to us, shine your light upon them for our hearts and minds and all of our soul, all of our being to connect with this story of your redemption, of your perfect salvation. Lord, speak to us today. Speak to us your truth in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him. that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, then they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We practice many redemptions in all kinds of small ways throughout life little practices that remind us that that you can take something and make it better. Last week, Sunday, if you remember, it was a beautiful, sunny, actually warm day. And so at long last, uh, Caitlin and I decided it was the greatest day possible this year so far to boil our sap from our maple trees into wonderful maple sugar from the trees just around the parsonage. And so with all the excitement and all the information we had learned because we, we studied two years ago under the Decreiter family and learned their methods for the elaborate tapping of maple trees and we had gathered enough sap at least for like, you know, one or two breakfasts because it boils down quite a bit. If you've ever done this, you know that it's a 40 to 1 ratio and there is a lot of redemption needed of sap, a lot of energy to turn it into the syrup that's actually good. But we were ready and eager to practice this mini-redemption. Well, as we boiled things down, it was just a great day with all that we'd learned, finally putting it into practice. This is our only second year of doing this. We're getting better. We're learning. And the fire's going, and I'm just living it up, just enjoying sitting in a chair, watching the fire, pouring in a little bit more sap as we go, and watching it turn into something better than it ever was before. It was good. And I sat in the chair and just imagined this redemption process and and the pancakes that I would soon be eating with our own homemade maple syrup. And every now and then, I thought, something smells funny. But it's okay. Everything's going to be fine. We're just living in this redemptive moment. Well, after hours of boiling down and it's starting to look good in that bigger pan outside on the fire pit, well, then you get to the point where you bring it inside and and the finishing touches happen and candy thermometer ready and filters and uh, strainer things and Pyrex bowls and all kinds of stuff is at the ready. And we bring it in and we start boiling down these finishing touches, this last bit of redemption on our sap to syrup transformation. And I didn't notice it as bad until Caitlin went out to grab a few more things from by the fire pit. And when she was outside and came back in, that lent perspective to her nose. She said, Stephen, this stuff stinks. If you'll follow my analogy, and if you can maybe estimate where it's going, we're going to call that smell of syrup in our kitchen, we're going to call that the smell of sin. Because it was bad. But... If you're used to it, it doesn't smell so bad. You kind of just embrace it. You don't even notice it. This is our story as sinful people is we get used to habitual disobedience. We befriend our sin and we just get used to it to the point where we don't really notice it anymore because we're just living in it. And we think that we're accomplishing some amount of redemption, but really the house is just smelling more and more like sin. Bad enough that I've got a headache but not bad enough that I'll admit that there's a problem because I am slow of mind and thick of skull. I'm like, let's just keep going. Well, we boil it down further. Caitlin has to go to youth group. She's like, Steven, just call it. Just just dump it out. Just give up. And I was like, okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> so we keep going. The kids don't even want to be in the main floor of the house at this point but I'm just saturated in sin, thinking that we're accomplishing some amount of redemption. And then I went outside for a minute and came back in, and I was like, oh, (laughs) we've got trouble. Redemption has not been taking place because sin is still very present. Well, I boil it down, I think at this point, it's just a learning process. I'm just going to stick with it to learn. And so we finished boiling it out, And shortly before Caitlin got back from youth group, I had boiled it down to the right temperature. Did you know the boiling temp of water is different according to altitude? Fun fact. Um, But moving forward, I start straining it out, and it looks good. It looks truly good. It looks like real syrup, not failure syrup. Sin. And then I just know as I take a closer whiff at the big Pyrex bowl that would have covered several pancakes, that it's bad. Redemption has not taken place. Despite all of our efforts, despite doing everything right, despite learning from the right people and putting into practice what we should, our efforts were all in vain because there was still sin present. Here's what happened. The vessel that stored our syrup before for the day of reckoning, if you will, it had an odor to it. And that sin in that bucket of whatever was in that before contaminated the rest of the sap. And so it didn't matter what we would do, it was going to be a sinful batch because it had the wrong vessel. Because if you're going to redeem sap into syrup, you need a perfect blemish-free Sent free vessel. Jesus Christ is the only vessel that is perfect for our redemption. Any other attempts at redemption and transformation that we go through in our lives, even if we learned all the right stuff and work hard and put the right things into practice, it will fall short because we don't have the perfect vessel. If without Christ, the sin will remain, Christ and Christ alone is the perfect vessel to redeem us from our sin. Without a perfect vessel, try as hard as you might, there's still going to be sin present. And when Caitlin got back, I was like, look what I did. I learned, I failed, but I learned. And I just couldn't quite help it where I was like, maybe, have you ever gone down the road of self-deception? Have you ever told yourself like, well, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe this isn't such a big deal. I was like, I just got to try a sip, right? Before I went out to the fire pit and burned it where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. For it's like, you know what? This, this syrup is contaminated with sin, so it's got to go to hell. Like, it just needs to be burned away. And so I took a sip out of the Pyrex bowl, and it tasted like syrup and like sin. And then I went out and we opened the windows to aerate the house. But friends, our redemption in Jesus Christ, this comes not from what we have done, though we do put thoughtful, faithful effort into following Jesus, though we do learn things from the right people, though we do study the scriptures, without Jesus Christ as the perfect vessel of our redemption, we will still be marked by sin. And you know what, I I like that it was the smell that got us because smell is very strongly linked to memory. There's all kinds of nerve bundles and synapses connecting our nose to our brain memories. And all of creation was marked by sin and all of creation, some places more than others, is marked by that smell of sin and you cannot boil it away on your own because all of creation remembers That first disobedience, all of the cosmos is marked by that first sin. And we are powerless to redeem it or transform it away on our own. We need the perfect vessel of Jesus Christ. Because only Jesus can hold the sap of our lives, all of our sin, and not be contaminated by it. Only Jesus can take all of our brokenness, all of our failures, all of our misgivings, all of our errors, all of the lies that we have believed and all of the lies that we have told ourselves. Only Jesus, the perfect vessel of perfect salvation and redemption, could hold all of that on the cross for us and not be affected or infected by it. Only Christ can hold the sap of our lives and only Christ could die for us in the ultimate act of redemption for perfect salvation, that he could rise again from the grave, victorious over death and sin itself, to new and holy life. Only Christ is our perfect vessel of redemption and salvation. Think about how this plays out, even in the scriptures, if this analogy works for you. And if it doesn't, then happy Easter, and you're thinking about breakfast now. But even in the resurrection account, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb, there's confusion. Even when the disciples get there and they check things out, they still don't understand. And I think we can identify a lot with the disciple whom Jesus loved. One, because you are a disciple that Jesus loves. You are called and loved by God. He believes, even though he doesn't yet understand. Friends, we are pilgrims on a longer journey of faith. And I think there's lots of moments in life, our crucial moments, where we are on the fire of redemption, having the yuck of our lives burned away. We believe. We can say that we believe in Christ's death and resurrection. And if you have been baptized and believe in Christ's death and resurrection, then you are welcome to celebrate communion and partake of this reminder, this small lesson that we can taste and touch and smell and feel of Christ's redemption. We could take all of that when we believe, even when we don't understand, even when we're wrestling with the problems of pain of why do these things happen in the world? Why is there this brokenness? The impact of our own choices in life that have come back to haunt us over time, we believe even when we don't understand. The disciple who Jesus loved, he believed even though they still didn't understand the the, the, the questions are still looming. They haven't put the whole picture together yet. There are some pictures in life that we'll make sense of here on this earth because God will give us a, a miraculous moment of clarity. And there's other things that on this side of heaven will never make sense to us, that we'll never be able to put all the pieces to fully understand. And yet we can continue to believe that Jesus was the perfect vessel of salvation, both fully God and fully human living the fully human life for our salvation. They believe, yet they don't understand. So they go back. They go back into hiding because it's been a tumultuous couple of days, really a week. Mary stays. Mary continues to weep and grieve and mourn. If you've been in this situation, you know what it's like when you can't quite feel out the right moment to leave the cemetery. Because you're facing death, you're in the presence of it, and it's time to go, but you're not quite sure when. That's where Mary's at, weeping over her Lord, weeping over the one who loved her when no one else did, weeping over the one who spoke of her redemption when no one else could have seen her as redeemed. This is Christ's love for you, his persistent, unavoidable love. But then Jesus shows up after a brief conversation with two angels to make you wonder, what in the world is going on? And I actually love that Mary first mistakes Jesus for the gardener because this is echoing back all the way to Genesis before sin first entered the world, before the smell of sin infected all of God's creation. Before that, what was it? It was a garden with the gardener, the creator, who would walk regularly through the garden in full communion with God and humanity in place. Jesus is mistaken for a gardener, but that's hardly a mistake. That is an echo back to the time before there was sin in the world, that the gardener is in the garden again and not separated by sin any longer, but present and face-to-face being right there with Jesus and humanity, as represented by Mary Magdalene. Jesus the gardener is back in the garden because the smell of sin has been removed to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so full communion, face to face, no longer any sin separating God and all of humankind is there. And so Jesus mistakes, is mistaken for the gardener. But Mary recognizes Jesus when what happens? When he says her name when he makes it personal. Not just this big mystery that's going on, but when it becomes personal. And to remember that we today are known by name by Jesus Christ our Lord. The one who is the perfect vessel of our salvation knows us by name, knows every hair on our head or lack thereof and loves us. Loves us to the grave and back. This is Jesus Christ. Our Lord and Jesus goes to his disciples who are believing and wondering and not understanding and still hiding and not having much peace of mind and what does Jesus say to them peace be with you twice repeated peace be with you friends on this Easter Sunday remember that the Jesus who rose from the dead our Lord and Savior, who knows us by name, comes to us and says, peace be with you. Because Jesus does not save us so that we can continue to live in angst and anguish and confusion, but rather Jesus comes to save us that all of that best stuff that we learn from all of the right people can be put into practice, but can be done effectively that we can more faithfully follow Jesus our Lord. That the sin of our life can be boiled away and reign over us no longer, that we can be face-to-face with Jesus, that we can pray and know that our prayers are heard because we are not separated any longer from God because the perfect salvation has been given to us. And so Jesus tells his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me into the world, so I am sending you. If you're a disciple, you're also a missionary to share the story that Christ has died Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. This is perfect salvation given to us. And Jesus tells the disciples something that sounds pretty big, pretty important. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Consider that there are ways in which that passage has been abused throughout history, but we're not worried about that this morning. What we're worried about, and not even worried about, but concerned and drawing our attention to, is what does this mean for us? It means that if we believe in Jesus as the perfect vessel of our salvation, then our sins are forgiven. And that this story carried on by the church, the church, not necessarily the church organized into corporations of nonprofits and buildings, but the church as the people of God holds and carries on the story from generation to generation of perfect salvation through Jesus Christ. That our sins are forgiven through Jesus. And that if we go down other roads thinking that maybe we can work hard enough to redeem ourselves, maybe we can put enough effort in to make our lives better, if we don't use the perfect vessel of salvation, we don't see Jesus, the cross, at the center of our existence and the empty grave as the sign of victory, then all the other stuff put into practice we might learn from, but it won't save us. This is the message of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is the best of us in the best of God's redemption actually made pure and perfect. Once and for all. This is the good news. This is the peace that we live in. This is where our belief and our understanding or lack thereof meet together and mingle as we continue to faithfully follow Jesus together. As we worship, we worship as free and forgiven people. But if you're a person with a human brain, we forget. We forget things which is why Jesus only rose again from the grave once, once and for all. We celebrate it every year. And we also come to communion more often than not so that we can remember and be reminded of Christ's perfect sacrifice for us. Because Jesus knew his disciples believed. They didn't understand everything. We believe. We collectively understand lots of things, but our understanding is always growing. We need reminders that we can taste and touch and smell. We need reminders and something that we can hold on to the way that the disciples needed to be able to see and touch Jesus, to know that resurrection had happened. And so we come to the table. We come to Holy Communion as this lesson, this reminder, this pledge and foretaste of God's redeeming love. Friends, there's different ways that we observe and celebrate communion, but here today we remember the three things that we always come to at the table, which are remembrance, communion, and hope. We come to remember and to be reminded by God because we need more reminders than new information. We need reminders of what's already true. We come to remember that Jesus Christ came into the world for us he lived, for us he died, and all of this he did for us before we knew of it because, Christ, because we love because Christ first loved us. We come to remember that Christ lived a perfect life as the perfect vessel of salvation, unaffected, untouched by the smell of our sin. And by his death, resurrection, and ascension, he established a new and eternal covenant of grace, God's grace, forgiveness of sins, and reconciliation to be made right with Jesus, that we might be accepted by God and never be forsaken, never be abandoned by him. We come in remembrance of our Lord, and we come in remembrance and communion. Communion meaning with one another, that it's not just Eric and Nick and Paul and Sue and Caitlin and Stephen and Aaron who are here, but that Christ is present with us that we share this supper with our Lord, who is present to us. He has promised to be with us always, even to the very end of the world. In the breaking of the bread, he makes himself known to us in a special way, as the true heavenly bread that strengthens us unto life eternal, to the full and perfect seizing of Christ's gift to us. Eternal life, perfect salvation. In the cup of blessing, he comes to us as the true vine, in whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit. We come in remembrance of what Christ has done. We come in communion with the living Christ who rose again. And we come in hope, knowing that the world is not all as it should be, but we are a people who need hope, believing that this bread and this cup are a pledge and foretaste, a preview, a reminder of what is to come, a pledge and foretaste of the feast of love of which we shall partake when his kingdom has fully come, when with unveiled faces we shall behold him and be made like into all of his glory. On that day, when Christ returns and makes all things new and wipes every tear from our eyes, until that day we hold on to hope that is in Christ and in Christ alone. Since by his death, resurrection, and ascension, Christ has obtained for us the life-giving spirit who unites us all into one body, the church, the world over through all the centuries, the people of God. We are united so as we also receive this supper in true love, mindful of the communion of saints, the communion of saints who have gone before us, those who will come after us, those who have taught us, and those whom we will teach. This is the church, the family of God, together. We'll celebrate communion by... By coming up this morning, there'll also be a station of elders who will come to you. uh, If if you don't want to make your way forward for whatever reason, stay where you are, and they'll come to you. uh, What we'll do though is coming down the center aisles from the balcony in the back, coming down to the center. There will be a station of elders on either side. We invite you to come forward and receive a piece of bread, and the elder will say to you, "This is Christ's body broken for you." Invite you to take and eat. And then the next elder will have. Um, cup for you to take. you hear the words, this is Christ's blood shed for you. If you're looking for words to say, you can take in silence or say, amen, thanks be to God, whatever is most sincere and reverent to you in this moment. There's trash cans on the sides to throw the empty cups away as you make your way um, back to your seats. You'll notice that we have a few leftover palm branches up at the front if you come up. And that's because Palm Sunday was a week ago but the hype could be quickly forgotten. And you might walk over them and you can step on them on purpose if you'd like to remember that the palms were a symbol of victory saying, Hosanna, God save us. And as we step on the palms today, we remember that we're not stepping on the victory, but rather we are stepping on death itself over which Christ has obtained victory.